Hello, and welcome to You've Just Got Homeschooled. Um, I'm RJ, and I'm going to finish up my little series on the core main subjects and ways that we can integrate them um, into everyday life and kind of be excited and um, go at them from different ways. So today we're talking about history. Now, if you've listened to my previous podcast, you probably know that I'm a history person. I love history. One of my favorite quotes, one of the quotes I almost live by, um, and, and it was given to me by the program that I was in in my undergrad. Um, and it was a quote from one of our professors, actually the, department, the history department head. And it was, everything is a subfield of history. Because everything is part of that context, right? So history is great because there's so much you can do. You can go anywhere. You can see anything. You can analyze everything. The more you know, the better. And everything is integrated. Right, so for example, you can teach history by opening a book, right? That's how most of us probably learned history. We open a book. We listen to some guy, typically a guy, rattle on about stuff. Now, I'm one of those weirdos that was really captured by that. I distinctly remember sitting in eighth grade in history class with my teacher and him telling the story of the Battle of Thermopylae, where King Leonidas and his 300 Spartans, along with some um, support, held off the Persian army. Right? I remember that. But you know what also caught my attention? Artifacts. Right? He didn't talk about that all the time. But you know what he did do? He brought in a samurai sword that his uncle had pulled off a dead Japanese officer during World War II. Right? There's history in real life. Standing in the presence of an artifact, something used in a conflict. Right? Maybe you don't have that laying around your house, but maybe your parents do. Right? Maybe it's not a samurai sword, but maybe it's a sewing machine. Maybe it's a Hoosier right, that your grandparents had, that they cooked on. Maybe it's, uh, you know, some heirloom piece of furniture. Maybe it's a piece of clothing. And it doesn't have to be way back in time. It could be from your childhood or from before your kids were born, right? It can be the first iPhone you ever got. And you can sit there and be like, this was the first iPhone. It's been sitting in a drawer for, you know, seven years. And the one I'm holding right now Right, show them your iPhone 10 is a thousand times more powerful. Right, let that sink in for them. Right, so show them things. Go to places that have things. I know, um, when I was, I don't remember how old I was, it was uh, one of our anniversary trips. Um, it was early on, I want to say maybe year two or three after my wife and I got married. We went to Hearst Castle, um, which is in California, kind of the central coast of California. And Hearst was a newspaper publisher, um, and he owned a bunch of newspapers, and he was uh, basically a gazillionaire, right? He made tons and tons and tons of money. And he used his money to build himself this very lavish house on the coast, and it is gorgeous. But because he had so much money, he had to spend that money on stuff, and there wasn't really the same kind of technological innovation that's going on right now. And so one of the things he did is he collected pieces of artwork from around the world. And this is what blew my mind. So we're on this tour, right? And this guy does, has all sorts of stuff. He has a pool that has actual Roman columns around the pool and actual Roman uh, fountains that he had imported from Rome like 
made by the Romans, fountains in his pool, right? Columns sitting next to his pool. Um, he has, I think the, the property has like three or four pools, right? He had an entire zoo, you know, stuff like that. But I remember we were walking um, from one of the like outbuildings, like one of the guest houses towards the main house. And we're walking around this little pond and there's all sorts of stuff. And the tour guide looks over at this pair of statues and kind of like, oh, these are first kingdom Egyptian statues and just kind of keeps walking. And the rest of the tour just kept walking. I literally stopped dead in my tracks. And I just stared, stood there and like stared at them for like a minute and a half. And my wife was like, what are you doing? Do you realize how old these statues are? Do you realize that the people whose hands carved these statues didn't know this continent existed? Do you realize how amazing it is that they could carve them? Can you carve them? Can I carve them? No. I have no clue. Do you realize the chances of me ever standing next to something that was man-made and that old? Right? I mean, like, we're talking these statues existed before the last mammoth died out. That's how old these statues are. And he just walks past them as if they're nothing. Right? Then he goes into the house, and the house is gorgeous, and the guy, like, collected painted ceilings from Europe that were going to be destroyed and all sorts of stuff. And it was, it was glorious. But you take kids to a place like that and all of a sudden their imagination opens up, right? Not just their imagination, but their willingness to learn because it's hard to stand underneath a painted ceiling that's 700 years old and not be like, well, this is weird. You know, like this is odd. Why would someone paint their ceiling, right? It's hard to walk past all the stuff, even if you're just like, Instagram world, like life is amazing and everything's about cheap thrills to stand next to stuff that is so old that it looks new, you know, like it's still in style. You, it just opens up doors for you to integrate that into and just point things out, right? Tapestries that hung in, um, Versailles, right? I also remember uh, I went to Ireland on my honeymoon and we went to, uh, Trinity library or Trinity college, which is in Dublin, and then Trinity Library, and we saw the Book of Kells, which is awesome. But then we walked up the stairs to Trinity Library, and it has to, I literally, again, I stopped, I got up to the top of the stairs, and I just stopped there and stared for like a good couple minutes, just stared, because there's not a single book in that library that's younger than 500 years old. An entire library, when none of the books are older, or younger than 500 years, blew my mind, right? You take kids, you show them cannons, you let them climb on old tanks, right? See an actual battleship or um, just the anchor from a battleship or an aircraft carrier. Take a, well, we went and took my kids to uh, the USS North Carolina, which was a World War II uh, battleship that's in uh, Charleston, North Carolina. While we were there, great thing. Fort Macon, right? Even if they don't seem to get it then, when you talk about it later, right? You may be talking about kinetic energy, right? Which is a science topic. And be like, remember when we were at Fort Macon and those walls were really, really thick? Remember how like, you could like run between the interior wall and the exterior wall? 
right? And they were super thick and they had lots of dirt. That was to slow down the kinetic energy, right? Or the cannons. Um, to show them old clothing, right? That's one way. History can also be done by, by pretending, right? Or by, by dressing them up, in a sense. Um, I know in our area, we have a couple places that have, they do like reenactments, so they have people get up in costume, whether it's the Civil War or the, or the you know, colonial times, thing like that, um, and, and expose them to that. Or if there's particular cultural fairs, right? Um, I know a lot of times uh, Greek Orthodox will have like a, a, a Greek festival. And you could take your kids there and then that exposes them to a bunch of new things that you can then draw on for history that they're going to learn about culture and about society and about, you know, like eat stuff wrapped in grape leaves, grape leaves you know, um, or have them make something the way that they used to be made. Have them dip candles, right? Some kids are going to love that. Some kids are not. Have them bake bread from scratch. Be like, this is what every mom for most of history did every day, right? They baked bread from scratch. There are literally people alive today that are older than sliced bread, the commercially sliced bread, right? So having them live out, have them build something, you know, it could be a trebuchet. It could be a shield. It could be, if, obviously, those tend to be more towards boy things. A doll. Stitch together a doll. You know, learn to crochet or to net, knit. Right? Um, and explain what it is. Why it is. Go to a historic place and integrate that. Right? Thought experiments. What would you do if? Right? Go read something about Jamestown. Right, or, or an early settlement in any your area, what would you do? Like in my area, um, there was actually a massacre based on chia seeds, right? So if you think of like the chia, the chia pets, right? Those seeds are from a plant that lives in our area. And there was a massacre in our area before colonization, before white settlers got here. A massacre because one tribe was taking the chia seeds from another tribe because they were a primary food source, Right? Um, go and just look, right? Where's history? What buildings? What people? Can you go find someone who has something of value to share? Maybe they were, like, I know that one of the greatest uh, impacts, the things that most impacted me is when I was in high school, our, our school did what we called the Vietnam Symposium. So we had veterans from Vietnam come in and just talk to us, just to share their experience. Right, and that was really impactful. I also got to uh, listen to a survivor of the Holocaust come and talk and talk about their experiences surviving the Holocaust. Right, and so those kind of things, whether they're in person or um, on, you know, YouTube, that's a great where place to go to find those type of things. Um, YouTube is a great resource, right? Because you can have a combination of stuff. You can have them. Uh, go stuff that's a little bit more directed learning, things like Crash Course. They have world history. They have U.S. history. They have all sorts of stuff, um, all sorts of YouTube videos. They can find all sorts of things. There are entire groups that do medieval reenactments, right? So they can see the knights in shining armor um, or teach you how to make things the way they used to make things, right? Whether it be bread or candlesticks or the poor versions of a uh, candlestick, which was like a, a lard-soaked inner... Um, stock of a reed, right? Uh, and the YouTube videos cover everything. Heraldry, 
you know, how the ancient Egyptians did this, how the Persians did that, how, what life was like in London, you know, it doesn't matter, head wrapping, foot, foot binding, neck stretching, all these different cultures and histories. And you can, you can find them all on the web and then even draw out or you know, either find or draw out um, things that you can do to experiment, to practice, to do all these things, to break them real. I know that um, at one point I actually went online and I found a place that when hordes are found, so like buried Roman coins or buried medieval coins or whatever are found, they buy the whole hoard and they sell them off by the pound as is. So they don't go sorting through them first. So you can go buy an eighth of a pound of light Roman coins and scrub them yourself and figure out what you have. I know actually I'm, I'm in a room, right? And some that I bought years ago that I haven't finished cleaning are sitting in a jar not five feet from me. And I still need to sit down and scrub them, but I know I got a couple of like Seleucid coins, so like late or like early Muslim coins um, and some other stuff. Some of them I can't identify yet because all I can see is a rough head. But for a kid who's like, this is money that was made by someone and carried by something, someone and hidden by someone a thousand years ago. Or in my case, at least, right? Because if it's a Seleucid coin, it's in Arabic. That means it's got to be somewhere at least 1,200 years ago, 12 to 1,500 years ago, right? And to have that in your hand is a whole different ballgame than to see it in a picture, right? Make something, do something, you know, turn off the lights, try to survive by candlelight. All that kind of stuff is a great way to integrate it. Um, Video games. Now, not everyone likes video games, um, but I know that I learned a lot of history through video games, especially video games like Age of Empires, which is probably considerably dated now. But the fact that you could choose different cultures and they had pre-existing like campaigns or maps that you could work your way through that line up with historical uh, stories, at least, historical stories for the particular people group. So if you're the Mongols, you're Genghis Khan, and you're trying to create the the Mongol Empire. If you're the Scots, you're following the battles and the tactics of William Wallace, right? Things like that. And so you get an understanding of certain concepts, right? What kinds of things do certain people groups use? Right, Mongols being a steppe people use a lot more horses than say the Scots, who are not a steppe people. They have instead woad raiders, right, which keys you into a whole different type of thing. Um, the Vikings have longships as well as berserkers. What is a longship? Why does that function the way it does? What is it? What are its strengths? What are its weaknesses? Right. So all that stuff can be utilized well to integrate history. Obviously, books, novels, um, anything like that, documentaries. Even things that aren't documentaries, they're just like movies, um, depending, obviously, developmentally appropriate. But if they watch the movie, then you can sit there and go like, hey, look it. This is where they're right and this is where they're wrong. And they don't even have to be historical movies, right? For example, Lord of the Rings. I like Lord of the Rings. Not everyone does, but I do. And so Lord of the Rings, although it is not in any way, shape, or form a historical series or a historical world, Tolkien borrowed a lot from history. So like when he created Rohan, which is like the mounted peoples, right? The, the, the Rohirrim. He took Anglo-Saxon English cultural identity sort of and mounted it. So the Anglo-Saxons were not primarily a mounted people. 
Um, that's not how their, their primary way of fighting. And he took them and made them a horse culture. And so you can look at it and go like, oh, that looks like an Anglo-Saxon helmet. Right? Even when you're watching the movies. Right? And so you can then, and as they begin to learn these things, they can begin to pick them out themselves. These little, little pieces of history that are slid in. And you can also pick them out and be like, and that's not historically accurate. Right? And that's not, that's not good either. Right? And the more you know, obviously, the more you can teach. But that's beside the point. Like, there's lots to be learned from just regular everyday things. And I think it's a lot more exciting, right, when you go to a place and you do a thing, right? If I take my kids apple picking, that opens up a door for me to teach them history. Why is it that we would make cider? Why would we make hard cider instead of just regular cider, right? At a time before refrigerators, how do I keep an apple fresh? Is it even possible? How do I store the energy, right? What does that look like? Um, what kind of mechanisms are being used in order to produce the apple cider? Right? Why, why would we bake it that way? And what kind of tools would we use? And when you go places, you get the opportunity to integrate that, even if you're just going to your garage. I mean, honestly, I know my, my house isn't that old. It was built in the 70s, but I can sit there and I can look and be like, that is different than the way they do things now. Why is that? Like, what's going on? What does it tell you? Right? If, there's not, if it's not made of plywood, but it's made of boards, what does that tell you? Right? If you live in an area of the country or the world where you use primarily bricks, what does that tell you? Right? Why would you use bricks instead of wood or steel? Right? Why does the house look the way it does? And so there's all these different opportunities to then look at different things and be like, here's what a house looks like in Scandinavia. Here's what it looks like in Ireland. Here's what it looks like in Italy. Here's what it looks like in Spain. Here's what it looks like in Morocco. Here's what it looks like in, and go down the list in the Philippines, in China. What can we see here? Do Chinese ceremonial buildings, so like uh, temples, look like Japanese temples? How are they similar? How are they different? Why would they look that way? Right, what's going on there? And so all that stuff can be, then you can, you can compare and contrast. I mean, it's just like when you look at it and be like, okay, is that a leopard or a jaguar? Right, that's an important difference. There's a huge continent difference, right? But oftentimes comparing is where you get it. And so with history, the beautiful part is you can compare across times and across cultures, but then you can also begin to see personalities within cultures, within times. And you also begin to see the personality of humanity right? Why would a human do this? Why would a person bury thousands of coins in a pot? Why would they do that? Why would you do that? Right? And it also allows them to connect emotionally and hopefully uh, intellectually, psychologically with people of the past and begin to understand why they would do things. When you get up in the morning, what is your first concern? Right? Where would you want to live? What would your daily life, what would you like it to look like? And then be able to, to look at those things and share those things and draw upon those things, both in that moment and in future moments, to then bring history alive to them. Because it's a whole different ball game when you make your own candles than when you watch a video about them being made. Now, maybe all you can do is watch a video about them being made. But maybe you can have them make a candle or crochet a beanie, 
or sew a t-shirt, right? What do you do in a world where you can't go to the store to buy stuff? Like they don't sell clothes at the store. You might be able to find fabric. How has your life changed? How would your life change if you had to make bread every day? Otherwise, there would be no bread. If there was no refrigerator, but you still had to feed everyone, what would your diet look like? How would it change? Right? What would it look? Grab one of those. You can download them. You can download books from like the 50s or even better, like during um, World War II where there's like the ration plans. Let's look at the, the nutritional guidelines then as opposed to now. What changed? What's different? Try one of those recipes. What would it be like to eat some hardtack? Right? What do you, you know, and, and all those things can be integrated. All those things can be brought to life. And it just changes the way that kids see history. Instead of it being the subject they have to just learn, it's something they get to engage with. And some kids will really love it. And some kids will be like, yeah, it's okay. You know, but there's got to be something they love. Because even now there's something they love. We just got to figure out how to leverage what they love now and explain to them how it's based in history. Because it is. Every single bit of it. Even the styling on the brand new video game has a background that is historical in origin, right? Go back to plot sequence and epic heroes, right? It doesn't really make a difference how you get there. You just got to get there. And there's always going to be stuff that kids don't like, and that's okay too. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it was kind of long. Again, um, it's a subject I'm really passionate about and I love, but it's also something that I've seen beaten to death so many times in classrooms when we're worried about names and dates. And it's not that names and dates are unimportant, but names and dates stick better when you have a personal re- emotional relationship with the stuff that you're learning, right? When you see it, when you feel it, when you understand it, when you have compassion for the people of the past, when you realize that your ancestors lived a hard life. Because every day, one of your great-grandmothers, great-great-great-grandmothers got up every single morning and made bread, right? Or lit a candle or started a fire. And those things are important, They're important for your history, for who you are, but they're also important for cultures because how you go about that tells us a lot about what kind of world, the world they live in, the world you live in now. You know, I can go over and flip a switch or pull a lever and I got water, right? That's important. Why is there water? I didn't build in the infrastructure for the water, but someone did. Why do they see it necessary? Turn a knob and I get fire on my stove. Right? All those things are important, and yet our ancestors struggled for those. And so it's important to draw those lines and help kids to see it and feel it and understand it because it does impact their life today, and it will impact their life in the future because the more compassion you have in the short term, right, or not in the short term, the more compassion you have for the people of the past, the more compassion you'll have for the people of the present. So I hope you like this episode. Please like, subscribe, hit the buttons, follow us on Instagram, Homeschool Podcast. Um, share with a friend. I would love that. Uh, I hope to grow our audience more and more as um, hopefully my content's getting better. If you have any suggestions or things you would like to tell me, please reach out to me. I would love that very much. Have a great day.